0: Bringing business consulting and product expertise together, Galaxy Solutions industry experts explore current trends and technology on the GX Podcast.
1: On this episode of the GX Podcast, we're going to be discussing de-risking legacy modernization and some of the associated challenges and solutions. I'm joined today by Stuart McGuigan, former CIO, Department of State, Johnson & Johnson, CVS Health, and Liberty Mutual Insurance Company. And Dan Zell, former global CTO at Johnson and Johnson and SVP and Chief of Business Technology at Medco, as well as Galaxy's own President Sandeep Engopadhye and, and Galaxy's VP of Business Development Tor Carlson. Thanks for joining us today, guys.
0: Good morning. Glad to be
1: here. Likewise. Thank you. All right. So, kind of the landscape to start out the podcast. I wanted to set up is that large companies are increasingly trying to gain agility and speed and it's becoming a super important topic in all industries. Um, And one of the associated things is that they have to deal with legacy technologies and tech debt that's just accumulated over years of them being in business and operating. uh, And that's causing a constraint on creating new abilities and moving forward. Um, and one of the things that has come up is that they're often hesitant to move forward um, with modernizing. Um, and with that, I wanted to start our first question directed to Tor. i was hoping you could explain the way that most companies kind of currently approach modernization projects.
2: Um, yeah, thanks, Holden. Uh, yeah, what we see with with our clients is uh, there's oftentimes a very cautious approach, uh, and it depends on where the modernization cycle they are if it is if it's deep legacy uh applications um you know in the 20 30 40 year old range uh there's huge hesitancy because the, the it's it's mainly tribal knowledge uh the technology uh is a to get to to the modern state is a, is a very large step it's a big leap um, and, um, the leadership is, you know, will look at it and say, if, if it goes well, best case, it's, it's equal to what I have now. Um, oftentimes there's, there's downside that it doesn't complete. Um, it takes a long time. So what they'll do is they'll, they'll, um, either take a module, they'll try to do it uh, in a highly manual kind of protective way, uh, to see how it goes. Um, And oftentimes, um, the the teams grow and scale, Uh, the complexity emerges as they go on, they never really get their arms around what the current state is. And the current state is what is what are the use cases, what are the functions, what are the rules, both technical and and business. Um, And they never usually don't get to a comprehensive understanding what that is. So when they look to go to the forward engineering target architecture, it's a huge challenge. So um, they, um, they, they take it very cautiously.
1: All right, excellent. And Stuart, this one's directed at you. So in your experience, how successful are most modernization projects? And of the ones you, you have seen or been a part of, um, what are some of the more successful ways you've seen it done?
3: I think if you look at the data, you have to conclude that most of them are not successful at least in in the, in the original terms and expectations that they they set out with and it's not surprising because if you think about large companies and I've had the privilege of working for companies that are you know over 100 years old the department of state over 200 years old and let's just say being doing using technology pretty seriously for 50 years so think of that 40 50 years year in year out writing requirements coding systems and I don't think I have to tell this audience that the rigor around which requirements were documented and other decisions were made uh, is, is limited and inconsistent. And the generation of people who are around when a lot of these primary back office systems were built, they're gone. So when you embark on a technology modernization project, you're faced with huge amounts of uncertainty. So you use heuristics to make estimates uh you really very often don't have all the facts at your fingertips and so when you have a surprise uh at least i've never seen a surprise that that tells you something's easier than you thought surprises are always on the downside so you end up with projects that are more complicated take more time are, are more fraught with issues than you'd expect and so the only way to address this is really to make sure that you captured every aspect of your legacy system, that you've crawled through every line of code, you understand the technology stack, you have every bit of configuration information, and you create as much as you can a closed-loop system so that you know even what you don't know. You know where you have to go to get the last bit of information. So when you start your work, you're fully informed about every aspect of the technology you're dealing with. But then I think even more important principle is you start with business process, support business value. Uh, What what business capabilities are you transforming? And then are you doing that in a way that maps onto the way the business wants to transform? Uh, Not purely looking at it from a technology point of view. So I think if you combine a business process improvement or a business service focus with a very rigorous data-driven approach, uh and then break it up into meaningful pieces you've got a chance to do this without really much risk at all compared to the old brute force let's just put a 500 people at desks and try to bang away at uh, migrating from my my legacy system
1: and dan you know Stuart just kind of laid out maybe some of the reasons why a company would be hesitant to undertake the project uh like modernization but what other you know, issues or what other things come to mind that would stop a company from embarking on that type of project?
0: Sure. So, you know, just, you know, uh, layering on to what Stuart and and Tor had talked about, I think one of the big issues is making the financial case. And particularly for companies that have a large legacy debt uh, that they're dealing with, you know, so many of the companies, you know, out there that the new co's, that everybody gets excited about and they see them transform and become a digital-enabled company. They're starting with a greenfield. You know, the large enterprises for the most part are not. It's a brownfield, and you know you have behind that, as I said, legacy debt. You have systems that are fully depreciated. So in essence, they're quote-unquote free. Um, and then you have stranded costs which we we dealt with the J and j where there was a lot of great ideas in the marketplace they were capitalized projects but they didn't turn out as planned well the, well the capitalization didn't go away so you're burning down assets and you're 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 churning up costs as you go along so given all that to make the case to transform these these core systems these legacy systems it it's quite a it's quite a, a steep curve to to get over and be able and, and again when the the cost is viewed as free because they're fully depreciated, uh, it, it makes that financial case that much tougher. And the duration of that case, I mean, typically you're talking about if you're lucky it's three years. You know, in today's world more than ever, people want results, they want instantaneous action. And again, you see so much of that with Nucos, where they grow up, you know, as a, as a native digital company and they can, you know, you see the the speed there uh, where you're not dealing with some of these core legacy systems. And I think the second one, which is really critical, is cultural. Uh, so many of these companies have been doing their work the same way for, for 40 or 50 years, and they don't have that transformational mindset within within the company. And a lot of it has to do with what I call sustaining and transforming at the same time. You have to be able to do both. And to have that balance of not just running to one side of the ship or the other side of the ship where you're, you're only sustaining or you're only transforming and you're constantly disrupted by failures in New York, in the uh, legacy systems. So really developing that that cultural mindset uh, of transformation. And, you know, part of that is also, and I dealt with this in some of the companies I work for, where, you know, we tried that already and it didn't work. Um uh, so getting past that cultural mindset in the company, which is tightly coupled to talent. And let's face it, you're from a legacy world. You're moving from hard asset, physical assets, configuring to software defined. And if you look at today, it's at every layer of the stack. And those are new skills. And you know, to get the benefit of cloud, it all depends on highly automated, the environment, uh, just massive automation gives you flexibility and actually give you better operational certainty. But that's you know that's a different skill. And there's a scarcity scarcity of that. So I think talent is a second one. And it's not just within the, the core companies, it's within the partners as well with some of the, the some of the vendors that support companies and manage services. Um, getting those skills, you know, they're 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 hard to come by and in today's marketplace is more competitive than ever. So I think those are or some of the things that give uh, pause, and you know, couple with some of the failure modes where you know, you see them get up halfway up the mountain and then slide back down again, and it just adds to the debt that's already been there, and it has to be undone at a later time.
1: Gotcha. So Sandeep, in hearing some of those challenges uh, that that Dan and Stuart and Tor laid out what options are there to improve the modernization process to kind of avoid some of those negative aspects?
4: Thanks, Holden. Um, In the work we have um, done under the leadership of uh, Stuart and Dan in the past, uh, we have um, built certain practices that have, uh, over the, I would say almost uh, 20 years now, have uh, supported us uh, very handsomely. And some of these practices can be distilled into uh, some of the points that um, Stuart and Dan raised and Tor referred to. So for example, uh, Stuart mentioned the need for inspecting every bit of logic and the life cycle of data. Um, it essentially devils in the details, right? And uh, there is uh, practically uh, no viable way of doing that without automation. So uh, to cover it, um, uh, you know, simply uh, rely on automation to inspect every bit of a software platform and the infrastructure it relies on uh, to drive decision-making. Now, uh, that information, can be utilized uh, not only for the going forward transformation, right, because you can make a decision that this logic belongs there in uh, contemporary technology and you can move that from a legacy to a modernized um, uh, you know, environment, whether it's cloud or uh, the latest uh, uh, web technologies, mobile technologies. It's also important in terms of the elimination of risk that we have been talking about, because being in the details essentially means you can challenge every piece of logic, every bit of data to make sure that there are no unintended consequences to this transformation. Now, that's the first part that automation gives you that level of data. The second part that um, we have seen work very well is uh, now you are, supporting the subject matter experts that Dan was talking about. And that's a huge issue because the subject matter experts are few. Um, many times if these are really legacy systems, then the subject matter experts may not be around. Um, but the model that we have seen does not replace subject matter experts. It, uh, it's kind of a force multiplier, right? Because many times we see that when we give a subject matter expert, which means that they understand the technology, they understand the business needs, the decision is pretty obvious. It's just that they're missing the information that will help them drive the decision making. So first of all, you give them that data. Once you have given the data, they will ensure, to Dan's point, that the business outcomes are being ensured, that we are not just doing technology for technology's sake, right? That the real needs of the business are being met. And also, this means that, as Tor was saying, that when you do this on a traditional basis, the subject matter experts are trying to hurt cats, essentially, with, you know, um, Stuart talked about 500 people that you're adding to a team to get something done. Guess what? They're not all going to be consistent. They're not going to have the sa- all the same training. They're not going to have all the same habits. They're not all going to, you know, so essentially these SMEs are, um, you know, uh, trying to push that stone uphill um, uh, with uh, every kind of, um, you know, uh, essentially resistance that they could face because uh, they have business imperatives. Uh, they're making decisions without the data. Meanwhile, they're working with all these people that they're trying to, um, um, you know, force into doing what is needed to be done. So by using that data from automation and giving it in the hands of SMEs, you are minimizing your risk from an inconsistent workforce, right? So even if you're using less experienced people, you have strong guardrails around what they do and what they're working on and what their outcomes are. The other aspect uh, that uh, Stuart mentioned is a closed loop system. And essentially uh, that is, uh, we have seen, uh, and uh, Dan mentioned this, and Dan and we have seen it many times, is it changes the culture of an organization. A closed loop system essentially means that if I'm making a change, I'm able to see the impact of that change immediately. If there is a code, then I know what that code is doing. Every code is, piece of code essentially is justifying it, so it's, its own existence. In that situation, we see in a successful environment, it's not just the transformation. There is a culture change by which these uh, SMEs want to utilize the automation on a going forward basis so that they can use that for break fixes, for root cause analyses, for uh, further modernization, uh, tech support, for all those different perspectives that closed-loop system continues to provide them the data and their day-to-day work, not just the capital project, but their run um, operations uh, are data-driven. And that's a wonderful culture change that we see uh, with the adoption of a closed-loop system. And finally, we talked about how uh, inspecting every bit of logic and uh, piece of the life cycle with more automation gives us data, right? So the, uh, the other aspect of this is utilizing that data to test all aspects, to test everything that your system could do and whether it is meeting the needs of business. And through that, uh, you eliminate risk. So those are the four principles that we have uh, seen work very well. Uh, and and uh, in many of the projects that we have had the good fortune of supporting, uh, uh, Stuart and Dan, Uh, We have seen these uh, provide incredible uh, value in the implementation of those projects.
1: Excellent. Thank you. Um, Tor, this one's directed at you. So I was hoping you could explain the relationship between these different types of modernization approaches and realizing the full value versus creating incremental value and kind of what the difference is there.
2: Um, Our experience. as Cindy, and Dan and Stuart were, were talking about, there's there's organizations that um, are, are look, they move outside the typical paradigm in which they operate. And that paradigm tends to be, as Stuart mentioned, um, you approach this in brute force, that's how it's done. Um, and you throw a lot of people at the problem and you consume large quantities of subject matter experts and you try to bring to the surface as much visibility as you can. But oftentimes that just, it's an incremental movement forward of what the system does. Um, The the, the full life cycle value is, and that's where we're, when you combine all this together, is if you can use automation and you can get a comprehensive view of what the current state of of the system is, the application ecosystem is, uh, you then have the ability to uh, leverage the subject matter experts in a go, go forward, you know, target architecture destination approach. Uh, so you have, you have the, you have the asset of the current state. You can then leverage that for as Sandeep said, uh, current maintenance and support, but also to facilitate the target architecture. You have traceability to the new destination. You have the ability to leverage external sources to accelerate that process um with, with minimal overhead um, facilitating the the subject matter experts inside the organization to focus on arguably more strategic targeted capabilities and then you have the then you have the underpinnings of 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 the visibility of the asset going forward so it creates a, a much broader full uh view full life cycle of, of that modernization approach
1: thank you and This one's directed to Stuart. So we've been talking a lot about how, you know, an automated data-driven modernization process, you know, is just a lot more efficient and it's faster. What other extended benefits uh, can come from that type of approach?
3: Yeah, if you think about working in uh, highly regulated industries, and I'm trying to think of industries that aren't regulated, but, you know, healthcare, government, uh, et cetera, there are all sorts of requirements for uh, systems development that uh, the organization is required to prove that they're under sufficient control. The auditors come in, they're required to prove that they're adhering to regulations like privacy. They're required to show that they're adhering to cybersecurity standards. And when you're not using automation, even with the best workforce in the world, you're subject to a certain Error rate, which leaves you vulnerable to either uh, being hacked or at the very least uh, not you know, failing an audit. So, when you move to a full automation approach, you take not only the uncertainty around the impact of the change you're making, but you have the opportunity together with software defined infrastructure to ensure that no change can be made to your environment, whether it's infrastructure or code without going through the proper process and creating uh, the right artifacts for auditors to find or to ensure that everything in your cybersecurity checklist is executed before it's done. When, you, when you're when you dependent upon people, even with the best people in the world, you have an error rate. When you're automated, when you get the automation right, you get to 100% compliance. You get to 100% adherence to whatever your standards are and you get tremendous consistency in the development and deployment of technology. So that means that the IT organization can focus more and more on what can I do that's new? What can I do that adds value? Um, have shorter cycle times in figuring out what technical changes are required to support a new business initiative and generally offer with a cycle time uh, that's much reduced at the same time improving our quality, reliability, and consistency. And we always view those as sort of trade-offs. I can go fast, or I can do a good job. Here, when you use automation, you can go fast and you can't help but do a good job for those things that are in the automation. So you take the uncertainty and risk out of those things that shouldn't be risky in the first place, and then you focus on business value. Dan, I wanted to come back to something you had touched on earlier,
1: which was, Transforming and sustaining at the same time. So, how would a data-driven, automated approach handle that?
0: Well, certainly, you know, on the on the transformational side, uh, as you're mo- moving towards the transformation, you know, this 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 uh, this level of of uh, automation gives you increased certainty and measurement. And as uh, the team talked about, those are critical uh, as you're moving along the journey because as as you're doing these transformations and so many companies really just do transformation at the edge uh, and they think they're done, but to really become uh, truly transformational and to really get those low friction types of services that uh, you can can leverage uh, in in the digital marketplace, you have to go all the way from the front to the back to the, what I call the systems of records, and some of that is process change for sure, uh, because automating you know legacy processes you know that aren't agile uh, probably not going to make that much of a change. So so doing some of that process work, and uncoupling those things uh, is certainly part of it, uh, but the other part of it is you know if you can get to uh, increased levels of automation. Uh, you will get you know very much increased certainty uh, via measurement that you can go uh, you know it becomes a repeatable practice uh, and is sustainable and scalable as you as you move along. Uh, you know, an example that 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 Stuart and I both had at but one of the companies we worked at where you know infrastructure was being manually you know validated through documentation and inspection. And as a result, you know, uh, provisioning was on order of months, which was clearly not acceptable. And this is where another cultural aspect came in as well, uh, where we we brought up the the the, uh, the concept of automating provisioning. You know, the uh, people in the quality organization were almost aghast. What well, What do you mean you you're going to do that? You're going to move away from manual inspection and manual documentation. And so getting that organization to understand that uh, much like we did with production lines, we validated the production line and then we inspected it for quality occasionally. And by making that transformation, we went from what was months down to days and with better levels of certainty, lower risk, better security, and less chance of operational disruption.
2: I think the organization's that um, th- there is something interesting about organizations like to see if they're going to go down to modernization, they like the comfort of seeing it documented, right? And there's there's fool's gold in the path of trying to document it. Because it people, it's a, it's a static view and it takes human beings to Stuart's point to try to understand and capture um, what it is. And you put it on paper, and there's something that feels good to the majority of, of, of the organizations driving these processes, yet it's static. And versus getting comfortable to Dan's point, automation, if you can, if you apply automation, you can now persist the intelligence into a data store. And I can access the data store in a dynamic way. So now you have much more, if you're modernizing an application, now I can go, I can go look at the intelligence, the metadata of what the system's telling me. And I can get to it on a repeated basis, and I and I can I can work with that as opposed to leafing through binders or documents or something that's static. Um, it, it's getting the organizations to break loose of that old paradigm of documenting and manual effort into an automated structure where you can leverage that asset and, um, in a persistent store.
0: And I would I would say you know that gets back to the sustainable part because the more of those you implement over time and you push back into your into your sort of legacy environment those practices become embedded in the organization you know as a practice and what they do and so it, it kind of feeds on itself uh, and as what what Sandeep said it becomes sort of that that force multiplier in the organization it's a different way of thinking for sure it's a different way of thinking and it has to be cultivated in an organization uh, for it, for it to grow and uh, rewarded as such
4: I, I think uh, a very important ingredient of success that we have seen and I think we don't talk about it enough we focus uh, more on the techniques and the technology that uh, you know support success in these major transformation uh, initiatives is leadership and uh, it You know, invariably, we see uh, tremendous leadership input at every rung of the ladder. It needs leadership at um, Stuart and Dan's level, where they have had to uh, present very challenging situations and, um, uh, you know, establish a, a sense of trust with the leaders of an organization. And then correspondingly, a similar level of trust with people who report into them. So that's one level. And then the next level down, uh, they need to uh, know that all of this is uh, going to make their world easier. Um, And uh, the incremental transparency that being data-driven brings to the organization is actually something to their benefit. Uh, because it uh, warrants, uh, and in fact, it guarantees that um, uh, they will only be held accountable for their successes. And so long as they are transparent, uh, they will never have to face up to challenges and impediments. Uh, again, flows down from uh, leadership that we have seen from Stuart and Dan over the years. And then all the way down to the practitioners and uh, managers and leaders who are embracing, to Dan's point, this new way of working. Uh, reducing headcount essentially means a reduction in span of control, which in um, unless organizations um, accept, recognize that, and build um, practices around that, can be detrimental to the careers of those practitioners. So uh, these are real problems uh, that we have seen over the years but we have also seen that leadership at those various levels uh, up and down uh, the chain of management uh, have uh, completely transformed companies, not just because the systems are doing better, but because the organizations have become more agile, more nimble, uh, uh, and uh, have way more trust uh, because of the increased transparency. Uh, Dan, uh, you know, I'm sure you can, uh, attest to some of the experiences we have had on this, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, it
0: can be liberating for an organization. You know because some of these and 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 you and I know well, given the scale of the systems and operations we're talking about, it it's you know it takes your breath away. It, it's a daunting task uh, if you're trying to attack it manually and just rip it apart. and by making the switch towards this data-driven, automated approach, it actually makes it consumable for people, and you get the feedback uh, in a very timely fashion, and you can measure the, the impact of it. And again, going back to, and you know, this was particularly true at Metco when we were going into the e-commerce phase, you know, understanding what was really happening with consumer transactions at a very fine-grained level. Uh, gave us the ability to inspect and respond in a much quicker time frame because we had so highly automated and instrumented the applications and underlying infrastructure of that we had built so it actually makes people's jobs i don't want to say easy because these jobs are you know they're never easy but um, it actually makes them the, the ability where they can really instrument and had that fine-grained uh, impact on the outcomes, the business, which is all important, right? It's because it's all about business outcomes uh, to have that level of uh, of insight and detail. And it frees people up as well to do more creative things as they move forward.
2: A, a, a quick comment on that point, there's there's an interesting observation we've seen. Organizations that, that are looking for that shift to automation um, the, the the people involved are open to it. There's other organizations that resist it because when you get into the the folks charged with doing the actual delivery of the subject matter experts, we've we've observed some people are threatened by that automation, right? It, it, it takes their sense of value. It threatens their sense of value in knowing what they know and they've carved out in, in an ecosystem, their sense of, of value is based on knowing what they know and they, they're relied on for that. If, and if you can turn that into a, a knowledge at a data store that someone, anybody can go look up at any time, it's a threat. So we see different different cultures and different yeah. ecosystems.
0: There, there are also constraints, right? There are constraints in the organization, you know, because there's only a single person who knows it. And, you know, usually those people are overbooked. So they become a constraint on moving at the speed of which you really need to move to get these transformations done. Because again, the executives in these companies, the expectation is, you know, it's going to be fast. And given the, com- the competition in the marketplace and more and more newcomers coming in who are digitally native, you know, speed is absolutely essential. So there's, there's a big focus on it. And when you have these constraints in in these SMEs, uh, it's a, both on the technical side as well as on the business side it's it's a it's a huge constraint
2: well and it, it might be a topic for another time but the, the, there's the speed in which some of the either departments or the entity as a whole move is um, we've seen there's aspects of of those constraints and it's it's almost Silent sabotage, right? They don't. They don't want that acceleration at the rank and file because it it changes their world and sense of control. So, um, there's some really interesting uh, side effects and behavioral observations that come from when you introduce this stuff into uh, some of these um, structures and organizations that that are pretty resistant to this.
0: Which goes back to uh, what the uh, what Sandeep was saying about leadership. Mm-hmm. And really, you know, at a leadership level, you know, overcoming those and looking for others in the organization to rise up, uh, you know, people are sort of looking to be in front of the bus versus the back of the bus, are always people that I was looking for actively in the organization that could help mobilize the rest of the organization to make that cultural shift.
4: And Stuart, um, in terms of Leadership, we have seen you implement certain principles. Um, uh, and uh, we are referring to them, but could you uh, list out a few that you have seen have worked very well in terms of establishing that kind of leadership order and the culture change?
3: I think, you know, the culture change and I, I would say change management rather than culture change. One of the one of the humbling things about working for organizations that have been around for more than 100 years is no leader, however long you're there, is going to actually change the culture of a 100-year-old organization. But what you can do is understand what are the strengths of that culture and then approach this as a people change management opportunity as much as a technology change. And so you have to be very careful, as I think we've been talking about, that you're not giving the message to subject matter experts and technical people, hey, help us transform our legacy systems to new technology so we can eliminate your jobs. I mean, if that's the message that you're given, well, you know, even the best people that I know are not going to be enthusiastic about that. So an important part of this is painting a vision of what the future is going to look like. And for any growing successful company there are more opportunities in the market than there are resources to realize them it's just a leadership issue so helping people understand that by being part of this transition they'll be part of the future state and that their value doesn't end the day that we migrate off that last uh, mainframe system so sharing with people what is the business purpose behind all this what's the business value getting absolute business alignment so that everyone feels like they're contributing to the mission of the organization. And then secondly, doing it with transparency so that nobody fears they are out on a limb by themselves uh, taking risks, that the entire organization is behind them. We all know what each other are doing. We see challenges as they emerge, and we deal with them as a group. And so taking away the personal liability, taking away the fear of what this change means for your ability to support your family in the future. Those are things that have to be done up front and done properly. People get excited about moving to something new. I don't know anyone who got into technology so they could stay with one technology their entire career. They got in because they like learning things. They like engineering solutions, but you gotta make that pathway explicit if you're gonna bring the organization along with you in this change.
0: And I think that, you know, well said, the only thing I would add to that is, you know, reinforcing the culture of delivery, right? Because unless you deliver in the end and with results that are visible to the organization, both inside IT and outside IT, it's hard to build up that momentum. So there has to be that, that delivery mindset uh, that has, you know, not incremental impact, but step function impact. Because, what you know... What I saw countless times is you, you—you have to hit that inflection point in the organization, um, where you know both co- people inside technology and outside technology see that that's that's what I need to grow my business, and then you get that flywheel effect. But it's a it's a steep it's a steep incline to get to that point. But once you do and you make that transition, then it really starts to accelerate on itself.
1: Well, this has been quite a conversation, guys. With that, I just want to open the floor if there's any other comments. Uh, Otherwise, thank you very much for your time.
0: Yeah, thank you.
1: It was great.
2: Yeah, enjoyed the conversation.
1: Thank
4: you.
0: The GX Podcast is available wherever you stream podcasts and you can visit us at Galaxy. That's G-A-L-A-X-E dot com.